Imagine it's Christmas or Thanksgiving or some other holiday and you've gathered at a loved one's home and everyone's getting ready to gather around the, the table and have a meal and a brother or a sister or a cousin, some other crazy relative comes in and begins to yell at you and accuse you of doing something you didn't do and how do you respond? Well, you've grown a little older and you go see the doctor and he begins to examine you for an issue that you've got, and he says, well, how long has this been bothering you? And you think over what's been going on, and you know that that has been bothering you before you got your health insurance. And you know if you tell him that, that you're going to have to pay for all of the treatment. So what do you tell him? Do you tell him the truth, or do you lie about it? Because it's going to cost a lot of money. You know, those are some of the types of decisions people make on a daily basis throughout the world. Do you respond in anger? Do you tell a lie? Well, the book of Proverbs gives us the correct answers to to those and many more questions. If you will, turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, we're going to notice for the sermon this afternoon, verses 1 through 7. Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. To understand a proverb and to and the interpretation, the words of the wise, and their dark saying. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The book of Proverbs will give us the correct answer. They'll tell us the things we need to know about a whole lot of things. Not just the the questions that we've asked. Those are kind of Humorous a little bit if uh, we want to make them that way, but if they're in actuality, maybe not so much. But if we turn over to Proverbs 15.1, we learn that a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Proverbs 24.28 tells us, Deceive not with thy lips. But when we begin a study in the book of Proverbs, you know there are some misconceptions concerning Proverbs. Some believe that the book is difficult to study. They believe that it is just kind of a haphazard, uh, uh, haphazardly arranged, just kind of a thrown together uh, book with no real uh, uh, structure to it. Well, that's, nothing could be further from the truth. Proverbs isn't haphazard at all. In fact, it is carefully arranged. But the thing with the Proverbs is it's like any other book in the Bible. It is never, it has never been meant to be read one verse at a time. You can't open up any book in the Bible, pick out a verse, and try to make some kind of an application to that verse to your life. Or really try to learn the doctrine of God from that one verse. You'll never really get the true meaning of it. It has to be read in its context. Context is very important. What, what do the verses before it mean? What do the verses after it mean? What do the verses within that chapter mean? What's the overall context? No proverb is really intended to stand alone. The entire book is a composition of intimately related verses. I think that is most obvious when we get over to 
Proverbs 26, verses 4 and 5. Now, verses 4 and 5 hold two Proverbs. Notice them with me. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own consent. Conceit. Now, taken individually, those two verses contradict themselves, don't they? One says, answer a fool, while the other says, don't do it. Don't answer the fool. Now, in that case, the compiler, he placed them right next to each other to make the very point that He's not stating a general rule in either case. He's making the, the, the statement that sometimes it is necessary to answer a fool to keep them from thinking themselves to be wise. And sometimes it's best not to answer the fool to protect yourself. You know when Jesus went to court, that kangaroo court that they, they put him through, he didn't always answer, did he? He didn't always answer. He just kept his mouth shut. He protected himself. Sometimes he answered. He needed Pilate to understand, Thou sayest, Are you the Son of God? Are you the King of the Jews? You say I am. You say I am. Must be so. And so when we look at the Proverbs, the wise man here is distinguishing one case from the other. So it's not haphazard. It's not contradictory. We have to look at each case as it comes. Another misconception is that the Proverbs are generalized rules from experience that they might hold up under certain cases and they might not hold up under others. So people look at the Proverbs and they might be reluctant to offer advice from them saying, well, I don't know, it might not work every time. That's not how we look at the Proverbs. We need to look at the Proverbs for what they are. An often case-cited uh, uh, instance is Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. I have heard that. I can't tell you how many times. People will use that verse and say, well, there you go. You can't trust the Bible. How many people have you known that brought up in a, in a, quote, Christian home, and then that child go off and go crazy and do whatever he wants or whatever she wants? Look, the Proverbs, like the Bible in general, is not a one verse at a time book. Okay? It is meant to be understood within the context of the whole. If it is misread in that way, we can take any verse of the Bible and it will be overspoken. And it will be misunderstood. And it will be misapplied. We have to realize a proverb is a short statement that it makes a point, but it does not summarize complete truth. Okay? What it does, it, uh, it also, this is frustrating when I get to thinking about the Proverbs. It does not consist, a proverb is not a general rule that sometimes sticks and sometimes it doesn't stick. Okay? That's what we have to understand about the Proverbs. Instead, all Scripture consists of carefully arranged statements. Each statement is the truth. Each statement has to be combined with other statements in the Bible to make the complete truth. How are we saved? Jesus says you have to believe to be saved. Are believers saved? Absolutely. But is that all we have to do to be saved? 
Absolutely not. We have to take the whole truth of anything, the whole counsel of God, and then we find the whole truth. When we combine together all the truths of God, then the truth of God communicates truth, and the Bible must be used to interpret itself. In fact, when we look in Proverbs 22, verse 6, that thing has been mishandled and misused and misapplied. It's not talking about bringing up a child in the law of God anyway. It's talking about the manner in which that child is trained in anything, right? The way in which it should go, the bent of that child. How are you training that child? It might be the way of God. It might be the law of God. How are you training that child in the law of God? How are you training that child in any way that you train a child? In fact, if we want to look at the context of that chapter, it talks about the borrower is slave to the lender. Are you training your child to uh, not needlessly borrow money? Well, train that child in the way that best fits that child's personality and then you can teach that child something, right? That goes with anybody, right? If you want to talk to someone in a way that best gets to them, do it in the way that they can accept it, right? You want to sit down and have a Bible study with someone. What's the best way not to do that? Well, you start off telling them how stupid they are for not believing the things that you believe, right? No, that's not going to work. Never. That has never worked in the history of humanity. It's not going to start today. So when it talks about training up a child in the way they should go, it talks about that child's bent, the manner in which you train that child. And so the Proverbs are not just general ideas that work sometimes and sometimes they don't. No. The Proverbs are inspired words of God. They ought to be looked at in that way, and they are truth. And when we study the Proverbs, we study the very words of God, and that is what God wants us to do. Let's notice the beginning of knowledge. That's the title of the sermon this evening. As we look for the beginning of knowledge, I want us to start with the need for knowledge. What is the purpose why is God talking about knowledge? Why does He offer us knowledge? Why is it necessary to seek knowledge? Well, first of all, that's an easy answer to, uh, question to answer. Why do we need to seek knowledge? Well, there are deficiencies in people of the world. There are a number of deficiencies in all people of the world. Now, that's not a bad thing. It's only a bad thing when we do not seek to... Uh, correct our deficiencies. Okay? God understood there were deficiencies. That's why He gave us knowledge. Solomon pointed out four types of deficiencies in our passage. Now, he first mentioned the simple. That's kind of uh, over the past. We don't use uh, hear that term so much now, but I remember growing up, and particularly when my dad was uh, younger and during his generation, that was kind of a derogatory uh, term. If someone called you simple. Okay, Now, that's not what is being intended here. Proverbs were designed to give subtlety or sense to the simple. Okay, He's not calling them stupid. He's not calling them names. What he's talking about is someone who is inexperienced. He's talking about someone who does not uh, have a lot of knowledge in the ways of the world. Someone who is unaware of the craftiness of people who do not have their best interests in mind. 
Okay, We might say evil people, right? Someone who might draw them away. Notice what Paul said in Ephesians 4 verse 14. Paul said that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. That's the kind of people he's talking about. Children are simple. That means uh, they do not have the ability to discern, right? That's what he's talking about. This is the kind of people he's talking about, people who are inexperienced. He said, don't be drawn away by the trickery of men. Now, how do we do that? Well, he told us in the previous verse, the knowledge of the Son of God. If we gain knowledge, we can get rid of being gullible. Okay? Next, Solomon talked about young people. Now, I don't know anybody who's gotten past a certain age that wouldn't love to go back and gain a few years. Being young is great, but we have to recognize that there are some limitations that come with being young. There are some distinct advantages. But young folks need to recognize that there are some limitations. And a lot of those limitations come with, particularly in this context, uh, with spiritual matters. They just simply... Uh, are not as spiritually advanced as they ought to be, but that's part of the learning process. God recognizes that, and that's why He gives this knowledge. And so young people need to be able to be a part of this growing process, and that's why it is so important that young people grow into and become Christians, right? Jesus experienced the maturing process. Notice Luke 2.42, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Jesus experienced that. That was one part of his becoming the Messiah, right? Hebrews 4.15, We have a high priest, priest who can understand what we went through. He went through the same process. He grew in wisdom. And he matured and he gets it. He understands, right? Now we get to verse 5 and we're told even the wise have limitations that can be addressed, right? Even wise people. We talked this morning about Paul and how Paul wanted to continue to grow and to mature as a Christian, right? He said wise men will re realize their shortcomings and they will be willing to learn. This is the great thing about truly wise people. They know the extent of their wisdom. Right, Albert Einstein, one of the greatest minds uh, uh, in the history of humanity. On one occasion, he was asked how much he knew. And his reply was this. He said, if all knowledge is 100%, he said, I probably know one infinitesimal fraction of 1%. Now, I had to look that up. Okay, I didn't know what that meant. But here's what it means. It means taking the value of something as close to but just greater than zero. Okay? The point here is this. Truly wise people are not aware of how much they do know but of how much they do not know. And they're willing to learn. And that's what Solomon is talking about. A truly wise person will want to learn more. Those who claim to be wise are deficient or overly wise. There's nothing wrong with recognizing that you have wisdom in an area, okay? 
That's not what he's talking about. But those who claim to have all wisdom, like the Gnostics of who uh, uh, Peter and John so boldly fought against, they claim to have all wisdom, they, they were deficient because of their lack of knowledge. Okay? False teachers claim to be wise in the ways of God, but they don't know Him at all. He then spoke about men of understanding. Okay? If one understands that he will gain, a, if he understands properly, he can gain a wise uh, aptitude toward behavior, right? And that's what God wants. If you're willing to understand, a person of understanding, right? Uh, a person who is willing to understand, he will gain a wise uh, ability to behave properly or a wise method of behavior. And we would, I think we would all admit that our knowledge and our behavior at times is inconsistent. I think that's just the way people are at times, and we, but we have to recognize that. We can't use that as a crutch and say, well, I'm just a person. We're, we're just all people and we make mistakes. Well, we are all people and we do at times make mistakes, but we can't use that as a crutch. We have to recognize our limitations. We have to recognize our mistakes. We have to overcome those, but we cannot use those as crutches. Now, here's how James put it, James 4.17. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You see, we need to be alerted to our inconsistencies. The four things concerning human deficiencies are these. These are the types of people that Solomon spoke. Simple people, young people, wise people, and understanding people. Okay? Now, after considering the the deficiencies or the things that we lack in our lives, Solomon considered the types of people, okay? He went on into verse 7 to say this, Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The word fool here in this instance does not indicate or he's not trying to uh, uh, talk about someone's mental inability, okay? He's talking about a choice, He's talking about a stubbornness. They choose to have a certain disposition, right? Let's go over to uh, uh, the Psalms when David said, The fool hath said in his heart, There is no God. Now, David was not implying here that this person was impaired mentally. What he was implying is that they have chosen to say, There is no God. So really now, what he's talking about are five types of people. Now let's put these five types of people together. You have the simple who are gullible. Do they need knowledge? Yes. You have the young who are impetuous. Do they need knowledge? Yes. The wise who at times are lacking but are willing to learn. Do they need knowledge? Yes. The understanding who are at times inconsistent. Yes, they need knowledge. And then you have the fool who is stubborn. When we consider those categories, I think it seems understandable and, and fair to say that all people of the world are going to fit into at least one and maybe more of these categories. So to understand the need for knowledge, we have to look at our own deficiencies. And we have to understand the divine intention. God wants us to know Him. Therefore, He gave us knowledge. Right? Now, that leads to the different aspects of knowledge. And Solomon spoke to that. 
You know, I remember as a child, one of my teachers brought out and demonstrated to us how a prism works. She held up a prism, the light shined through it, and then instead of just a ray of light, all of a sudden it was every color of the rainbow. And it broke into all these different colors. Now, I couldn't tell you now how many colors that is, uh, but it's all the different colors of the rainbow. And so let's look at all the different aspects here. First of all, Solomon talks about instruction. Now, instruction can be painful. Anybody that's ever been instructed uh, can find that to be painful at times. Now, at times this word for instruction is translated chastisement or correction. Have you ever grown up in a home and your, and, your, and your father have to instruct you from time to time? I've been instructed from time to time. Uh, we don't like to be corrected. Usually uh, we don't like to be corrected. We don't like to have to correct, right? That's not normally something we look forward to. But when it comes to the knowledge of God, we learn to discipline and we learn to accept discipline, or at least we ought to. We gain understanding. Now what this means is we will be able to discriminate. Okay, That's usually looked at as a bad word, right? But it's not. When Solomon prayed for knowledge, what he was praying for was the ability to discriminate. He needed to be able to discriminate between that which was good and that which was bad. Notice what John said, 1 John 4, verse 1. He said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. We have to discriminate between what is right, what is wrong, what is the truth, and what is error. That's what Solomon prayed for, right? And then he spoke of discernment. That's justice, judgment, and equity, right? One must discern between right and wrong. Now this word judgment that we see in verse 4, that means discretion. If we understand the things of God, it will give subtlety to the simple. We will gain the ability to not be drawn away easily and we will gain the knowledge of God. That's the whole point and that's what Solomon is speaking to. So we have discipline, we have discrimination, we have discernment, and we have discretion. And that leads to discovering God. And that's what God wants. And the person who wants knowledge will go to that end. And it's done through knowledge. So, if we accept the need for knowledge, we, do, we understand the different aspects of knowledge, we need to ask the question, how do I gain knowledge? And he tells us, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of God. The fear of God. You know, Satan would have us to believe that lies within each of us. Right? There's nothing greater than the person. Beginning means the basis here of where to start. But we learned that in Genesis 1-1, didn't we? We learned that when we first picked up the Bible. In the beginning, God. God is the beginning of all things. If we're going to be successful, we have to start with God. If we want to end successfully, we certainly have to start with God. Proverbs deals with the very practical issues in life. Solomon talks about the things we're going to face in life. When we get over to James in the New Testament, and often it's been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. 
It points to everyday life, points to the realities that without God we can't find the answers that we're looking for. And I think we need to read it every day. We can read Proverbs once a month, 31 chapters. And I think it would do us good. Now here's what Satan's trying to do. He's trying to create problems in our society. You know what society consists of? Our governments, our communities, our families, any little aspect of anything that's going on in the world is what society is. And he's got a plan. Deny God. Did God create man or did man create God? We were talking before services. Satan doesn't have to take God out of the picture. He just has to plant a little doubt. He just has to upset the cart just a little bit. He doesn't have to take you out of church. Just send you to any church. He doesn't have to make you not believe in God. Just question whether He is real or not. Just question His plan. He just has to discourage you a little bit. He just has to destroy your moral value. He just has to deify human uh, humanity with the concepts of humanism, right? He has to deny the supernatural. Well, God didn't create anything. This all just happened, right? He's got a plan. The book of, the book of Proverbs was written for a purpose. God doesn't do anything without a purpose. He doesn't waste time. He doesn't waste energy. He doesn't waste effort. Everything has a plan. And the book of Proverbs was written so we could understand the temporal and tragic effects of sin. He talks about the very practical effects and lasting effects of sin and everyday problems that we face in this life. It is a phenomenal book. And why in the world preachers don't preach out of it more, I can't tell you. I haven't preached out of it enough myself. It helps us to understand no matter what our ventures in life are, if we do not have God in our life, it's not going to be successful. That His is the only way and His is the only way every time. That's what we learn from the book of Proverbs. It is a reminder that knowledge alone is not enough. Knowledge is just gaining facts. The proper use of knowledge is wisdom. And that's not enough. Through the study of Proverbs, we learn that prudence is taking wisdom and allowing that to govern our behavior and our actions in our everyday lives. Why are we not studying the Proverbs more? And you know what that includes? Our obedience to God. Sometimes we don't do the things we ought to do. Sometimes we need to straighten those things out. And we always have opportunity to do that. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.